0: Don't worry about a thing Cause Atticus Health will make make you feel feel alright Don't worry about a thing Cause Atticus Health will make you feel alright If you got a tummy ache or you don't feel right
1: Or if we we have have. a nasty rash (laughs) Keeping you up at night
0: Don't worry (laughs) worry
1: About about a thing
0: thing. Don't worry (laughs) Cause Atticus (laughs) help
1: Will make you feel alright
0: Ilana Raspash, and this is Radio Architecture. Good evening from beautiful Bunurong country. We are broadcasting to you live from the ancient Karam Karam swampland. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. And welcome back for more Radio Architecture with Alana Razbash. We are continuing right on through with you throughout this summer here live on Radio Karam. As always, you can join in the conversation and text any questions to the studio. The number is 0493 213 831. And if you've missed those digits, just hit the contact us on Instagram at Radio Architecture. I am so excited to be joined by another Edith Vale local tonight, Tracy Layton, who is a personal trainer at Park and Stronger Me Coaching. She holds numerous coaching, training, and nutritional certifications. Tracy earned the Peninsula Leisure Centre's Personal Trainer of the Year award in 2022 and garnered nominations for industry awards in 2023. She's a keen soccer player and has embraced a pivotal position as the female football coordinator for the local team here, Chelsea FC, where she passionately works towards driving and developing female soccer within the community. This role holds special significance for Tracy, aligning her heartfelt dedication to empowering women and girls of all ages. Tracy's multifaceted interests reflect her unwavering commitment to holistic well-being, blending an interest in fitness training with her advocacy for empowering women and fostering community sport development. So tonight I'm really excited uh, to talk about a new topic that hasn't come up in quite a while on the program about sport, health and fitness and more so about gym design and with the latest Matilda's Fever. I'm sure those questions will come up in our conversation tonight. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you for having me. The first question, I know you're a listener of the program as well, so I think you already know what I'm going to ask. But the first question I like to ask all my guests is, what's your earliest memory of a building or place? Building my place. Building or place? Hmm
1: actually in Peru, um, mm. in Lima. So we were, I think it was three years old. Um, my grandmother owned hotels there and um, my mother, my dad and my sister and I had to fly back to Peru and help her because she was too busy. So it was like a very um, Spanish style type with like the cut out in the middle and it's sort of open terrace sort of courtyard in the middle. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Did it have a fountain or...
1: Yeah, yeah, it had marble floors. Yes. I remember the floors because I stacked keeps it. It helps keep
0: it cool. And hit my head on the steps. <laughs> this place. Um,
1: but I just remember looking at the building and just staring out at it, the sky um, from the balcony and just thinking, wow, how beautiful stunning the, the view was. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much my what colour earliest was it?
0: memory. What was colour the, was it? The sky. The, the, the building. The oh, the hotel. building white white, white. white, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was called um, Santa
0: Rosa. Beautiful. Yeah.
1: I think it's still there, but um, my grandmother, who's now passed, uh, passed it on to uh, my step-granddad. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Melbourne, Richmond, and then, yeah, we went back to Peru to help mum. Well, grandma, sorry, with her um, hotels, running the hotels. So mum and dad were actually helping with all the tourists and backpackers, and we were just with nannies and chefs and just floating around the hotel running a amok. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was actually. And I do – that is my earliest memory and just thinking how beautiful the building was and how spectacular
0: it was at night to watch the the moon and stars and just, yeah. Wow. What got you passionate as a trainer and interested in becoming a personal trainer?
1: It was actually a bit of influence from my mum. So uh, my mum was a trainer. Uh, She actually did it for – because she enjoyed it and she was passionate about it. Um. And she actually gave me a nudge. I actually wanted to get into film and television and I uh, got into RMIT. I decided it wasn't for me and I finished mid-year. mid <laughs> And the mum's like, you have to do something. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know. And the mum's like, well, just at least do the personal training course. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So it was actually at the – there was an old um, – TAFE or university where Chadston car park is it's not there anymore now it's a car park um so I did there for six months and yeah just kind of really enjoyed it it was very hands-on back then unfortunately these days the courses are all very um are all online mostly online which is really actually sad because it is a face-to-face job (laughs) and you you learn
0: that way so the social interaction is critical yeah
1: Absolutely. And then just also just, you know, correcting people and the connection that you make with them. So it's a little bit sad that it's all online. Um, but anyhow, so back then that was, um, yeah, that's kind of fell into to, to doing that, just watching mum, how much satisfaction she got out of it. It was actually her part-time job. She had a full-time job as an asylum refugee seeker. So she would help the East Timorese people. Um, and she did the gym at Fernwood. Um, casually because she just enjoyed it. She just loved training. And I just remember her sticking a book in my face with weights. And she's like, you <laughs> need to do weights. At that age, I didn't listen. I need to regret. Me, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Only took me
0: to age 38 to start weight training. Wow. Yeah. Second generation PT and you're hammer and tongue for it. Yeah. Yeah. Once I
1: got a, a little bit of a taste of it, I did the the course again and it was very different during its second time around and just had a thirst for it and then just um, looked into doing nutritional courses. I've got my PM1 nutrition certification. That's a globally recognised one. Um, It's not a full nutritionist, but it's like nutritional coaching. And just, yeah, signing up for seminars, mentorships, that type of thing. I just really enjoy finding out more about what the body can do, what we can do to influence it and to make it work
0: with us, not against us. Interesting you mentioned your mum was at Fernwood. Yes. Yeah. That, that was, in, in my memory, I remember driving past some of these facilities and thinking, oh, that's like a ladies' gym. Oh, that's yeah. for the girls. The, these uh, women's specific spaces, are they still relevant in the same way that they were marketed at the time in the, like, noughties and uh, 2010s? I'd say it's a difficult question to answer. I'd say yes and no, but from a
1: business perspective – It's not a great business model, I hate to say that because I I love the idea, but unfortunately, you know, things like curves, um, like we don't even have curves in Victoria anymore. Do you remember
0: curves? I remember they were purple, weren't they? Yeah, they were
1: purple and it was like a small studio, really small space and it was like a circuit set up and you just jump in, do do like a... You know, to have a timer on for, like, 30 seconds on, 15 seconds, whatever it was that day, and you'd just switch over to the next exercise and you would just do rounds and rounds of it. And then if you did three or four rounds and you were done, you would, like, you'd just go home.
0: Um, I just so, felt like that stuff was selling women short a little bit.
1: A little bit, yeah. So the, the equipment was quite sort of, like, basic. Um, it was all very sort of, yeah, very sort of low-impact type movements, no real heavy lifting, no real um, – education or technique uh, teaching. So it was just come in, have a sweat, um, it's just ladies and you just hop off type thing. But, yeah, we don't have that here. So I think they're still around in New South Wales, um, possibly in Queensland, possibly. Um, but, yeah, we've had a couple of firm gyms gyms um, that I believe have closed down. Um, but then, yeah.
0: Victoria's leading the charge, are we, in a- Lifting heavy,
1: yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 and also you probably would say, um, I think Sydney. Look, the other states are doing pretty good too. Sydney and, and so, New South Wales and, and Queensland are doing pretty good with it as well. Yeah.
0: What What are the gyms like now? What is the sort of demand you're seeing? What are the spaces that are being utilised, and how's that changed since that era of oh, the light circuits are for the girls and yeah, sure. So I think the trend now
1: is uh, you see a lot more of women uh, identifying the benefits of lifting heavy weights, uh, especially when we get sort of like into our 40s and above, you know, you know you've got menopause close by, so you want to be setting yourself up for, you know, having to deal with that because it's a phase in our lives that we can't really avoid, <laughs> Um, so, you know, weight training, there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, if you have a look on social media, all you see is now just... Muscle mummies. Yeah, you've much (laughs) seen muscle mummies. I love that Yeah, that's (laughs) what they're called now. (laughs) I love that, muscle mummies. But you also see like the younger generation also, you know, girls getting in there and really like lifting heavy and trying to lift their, you know, squat their, 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 their own weight or to lift their own weight. And it's just, it's actually really... It's really refreshing and it's just a great sight to see and I love popping into the gym at Park and then just looking over to our four squat racks and seeing all women on it. I'm just like, yes,
0: that rocks. That's fantastic. So have you seen the demand in equipment or the use of space change as well?
1: Yeah, so we've actually, uh, finally said that, we've actually going, so we've gone through sort of like a tender for our equipment, for our cardio and we've actually just sort of, you know, we actually, Don't just sort of go, oh, I think this will work. We kind of take daily counts of what the usage is per hour. And we've actually um, realised that the cardio equipment isn't used that much anymore. So, more Mm. recently, so for our next, so we've actually just received all this new cardio equipment with TechnoGym. Great equipment, by the way. And there, so it's a lot less though than what we had previously. So, we're actually coming up this year in April for our strength equipment tender. So we're looking at definitely increasing the number of machines and free weights to actually keep up with the demand. Yeah, and the the hottest machine
0: on the floor is our hip thrust machine. (laughs) It's all about the glute gains. (laughs) Apparently so. So that's quite an amazing change over time. Where do you think the future is headed with gyms?
1: The future is headed. Well, so just coming off COVID and, you know, a lot of people struggling mentally, I think there's a lot of more focus on feeling better. Um, looking not as not so much aesthetically, but more f- looking to feel better in I suppose mentally. So sort of like wellness or um things like recovery sessions. Like gyms are actually implementing some sort of like Recovery suits and like um, massage guns and like um, infrared, infrared saunas. Infrared saunas. And pools. It's all about sort of the recovery and your experience and sort of like well being and that type of thing. So that's kind of like direction we're going into. And I feel like yes, there's always that demand for high intensity training because it's it's quick. You know, people are time poor and they want to get a sweat. And they want to feel like they've trained for the day. So there'll always be that demand because of our busy lifestyles Um, but strength training I think is also on the rise and just yeah lifting more weights and that type of thing so that's what I'm thinking is is coming up ahead Um, also virtual workouts is another one so um, our actual gym offers that is sort of off peak time so you can come into one of the cycle rooms Um, no instructor, you can just hop on and select a workout and it will pop up on the big screen. It's like a cinema experience really.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: so you just hop on and have a a workout there. So virtual workouts are sort of on the rise. Um, What are the trends? What
0: about virtual workouts for the customer in their home?
1: Yeah, so they have something like that looks like a mirror and it's actually a trainer that's guiding you through a workout. I'm not entirely sure – who who organises I feel like it might be Les Mills. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it's a, you're working in front of a mirror and it's an instructor who's working you through an actual session. Or it might, it might be Peloton, sorry. I'm seeing some I sort think of it might holographic, holographic yeah, style like in my head. Yeah, yeah, it actually does look a little, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit holographic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: The, the future's here already. Well, we've had a, a text message come in from Joe Spriggs. Thank you so much, Joe. She's asking... If you were to design and fit out a brand new gym from scratch, what three things would you absolutely need to include and why? That's such a tricky question. Oh I could oh my god, I could just go on for hours. We've <laughs> only got three. Yeah, you've been Is on- this a home gym or like a commercial gym? I think let's talk about commercial, for commercial, for the public. What,
1: what I feel like this about. is my life at work so pr- at the moment. It's just yeah. like we can only get two things. People like
0: <laughs> <laughs> budget cuts are hitting yeah, all yeah. industries at the
1: moment. Um, oh gosh. So machines,
0: not free weights. Okay, I, I think sp- spatially. I'm really curious as t- if I could interpret with a bit of creative license here, Joe, as an architect. I, I'd be interested spatially.
1: Hmm. Um, look, a hack squat is really popular. I love hack squats, but I have a love-hate relationship with them because I do injure myself occasionally on them. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds quite silly being a personal trainer, but, yeah, I'm human, I make mistakes, and, um, yeah. A hack squat because they're pretty pretty popular. Um, oh, my gosh.
0: It's just so hard to pick. How about but, windows? How about windows and natural light? And
1: oh, okay. I thought it was like. Oh, okay, I'm thinking machines.
0: <laughs> Everyone goes to their yeah. own proclivities, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got my architect's hat on at yeah, the moment. You do. I'm thinking, how, how, how yep. would you want the building to be as a user, as someone who uh, yeah, true. spends so much, so much time there? Yeah. I love being able to work out outdoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah,
1: lighting's really important, I feel. Absolutely, and just um, you want it to look spacious too you don't want it to look overcrowded and I think that's people when it's over overcrowded overcluttered people see that and they kind of get a little bit put off with it and they can't find can't see themselves in a little space within mm. that gym so yeah absolutely having some zones some zoned areas where you know if you want to do a small um, recovery session, some stretching or something, you've got an area where you can go and do that.
0: Um, what else? Interesting yeah. you say the uh, the importance of avoiding clutter and not just um, to make it appealing for people because mm-hmm. their house is cluttered. They don't want to come to a cluttered gym, no. right? No. But safety as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 100%. You've got weights yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That is like
1: – that is something that we um, – obviously have to think about when we put um, the floor, the gym floor together and set it all out, make sure that people aren't knocking themselves on bars or things when they're walking through pathways and things. But, yeah, yeah, safety is another one. Um, there's the, I like the idea of like having sort of like a wellness area where there's a mood set into like with some some nice sheer curtains and some nice sort of like um, some lighting that's a little bit sort of dimmer or like to like lead, lead like lead lighting type thing um I've seen that in the gym before and I thought what a nice space I would love to like to sit there and do a little bit of like app work or whatever and it just be quite sort of relaxing or some breath work
0: but yeah lovely so have allowing users choice really is what I'm hearing mm-hmm. it's kind of like when you go to a library to be able to pick the zone you want to be in yep for that day do you want yeah, really high focus, do you want to be private and quiet and alone, or do you want to have lots of people around you? Yep. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Y- user choice, as in all architecture, almost. What are some of the most Interesting gyms or any, any sort of uh, favorite gyms across the world or somewhere you want to definitely go one day and train, even if you have the opportunity to travel there to a different country yeah. or something. So, anything on your gym bucket list? Gym bucket list. So, I've, just going back to
1: social media, one of the most um, Instagrammable gyms is the um, the Tulum Jungle Gym. So, it's in Mexico and it's it's basically. Um, Known as the best beach gym, so you're basically training on the sand, um, and it's all sort of timber. So tim, so they've got like a timber stack of dumbbells. Wow. Um, they've got sort of cable pull, like they've got like rope pulleys, and sort of like you're pulling a person. <laughs> so just throw in your handy girlfriend in the little basket and pull her or rope yeah. her. Um, but look, it's just it's it's pretty. It, looks, it photographs well. It looks kind of cool, but
0: yeah, that's kind of like we're really I would love that to, way, aren't we? To we, visit things have to be Instagrammable. I know it does, doesn't it? Everything, everything yeah. has to have a background. I yeah. certainly noticed that in even art gallery curation, <laughs> in like particularly the last decade, probably it has to be aesthetic to sell. Yes,
1: yeah, and like the the people, you, you know, they're all Instagrammable there as well, and they all train. But I think it's like, from what I can understand. From what I understand, it's pretty expensive to actually have a day pass there, but people just go there just to take photos so of other expensive. people.
0: <laughs> right, I see. Yeah. I think my bucket list. And uh, training in bikinis. <laughs> there you go. I think my bucket list gym experience might be I'm um, one of the amazing indoor rock climbing gyms in Japan. Oh. And some of them are digital and kind of fuse video games of rock climbing. Oh, wow. And it's of the most of that. incredible indoor climbing climbing gyms. A slight variation yeah. on the theme. Yeah. Indoors. We've had another text come in from Joe who's saying, um, the fitness industry has witnessed a radical shift in the way people consume and share health-related information, thanks largely in part to social media and real-time training apps. Where do you see this technology next evolving to? Um, so...
1: Oh, that's another good question. So I don't know, I think maybe AI might have something to do with it. Um, you might have sort of more, um, what's the word, advanced apps that I think might be and more advanced wearables because at the moment like the wearables say that it can actually calculate how many calories you've actually expended in the day but it actually can't. So maybe that will happen
0: soon. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: so some more advanced apps.
0: As a PT, do you imagine being on the receiving end of that real-time data? Yeah. There's a lot of development at the moment. Say your health data goes straight to your doctor or a medical team that for particularly like high-risk patients will mm-hmm. monitor this their vitals and yeah. their stats in, yeah. in real time and say even particularly like continuous glucose monitoring. So do you see PTs stepping into that space as well? <sighs>
1: Probably say some people try, but like we're not health professionals, <laughs> so I wouldn't want to send my um, yeah that type of information or data to a trainer and expect them to be able to understand it. But I think it's more sort of like um, I guess maybe so for for the app, I'm thinking that with the wearable can actually adjust your workouts, like maybe with the with the um, biofeedback that it gives it. So you know maybe something like. Um, women going through menopause and you know they're feeling they've got a day where they're feeling pretty awful um and the app can actually adjust for that and maybe change the session for them mm. instead of what's programmed for them for the day um make allowances because of what's happening um yeah i, don't know, I, th- I think that'd
0: be probably something really interesting to see might possibly happen I don't know help guide that support yeah I know Garmin depending on which model of watch people wear it tells them whether they need to rest or how many hours they need to recover and so many athletes just ignore that
1: yeah Yeah. okay people are bad at resting people are very bad at resting I'm terrible at resting
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're very honest this evening Tracy really appreciate it yeah, and I'm sure the listeners appreciate your candidness as well. And from the, from the PT perspective, <laughs> I have had a, another question from Joe. Thank you so much. A very engaged listener this evening has asked about AI and said, AI has impacted every facet of society today from education to technology. Have you seen any noteworthy AI examples within the health and fitness sector? In your opinion as a coach or trainer, is it a good thing or a bad thing? And do you use any of that tech yourself?
1: Got a lot no, of no, I don't actually. Up. I don't use any of um, AI. Um, kind of just fighting the tide a little bit there. <laughs> I'm just sort of watching from a distance, but not really partaking in, in any of it. Um, but what I do see in the industry happen, and um, you'll, I see people probably writing programs themselves on AI which is fine, yeah, you can get some good quality programs out of there. Um, so you sort of can probably can see some influencers who are not necessarily trainers or have any sort of education behind them or certifications that are possibly sharing infographics that have just been spat out mm. just to put out some.
0: A lot of marketing content just being pushed yeah. out the AI sausage, that's true.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and probably if you had a conversation with them, they probably wouldn't be able to repeat it to you. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit of a worry because I think, you know, with this sort of industry, um, people are a little bit vulnerable because they don't understand everything. And then when you have someone who looks apart and then they're spitting out all this gar- jargon on, the, on social media, you might think, oh, they know something. Um, so in that respect, I feel like maybe it is um, it's being used that way, which is not probably the best way and I have seen it. So,
0: um, yeah. Perhaps it's a cross-industry problem. Yeah, exactly. Find, finding where, where is the truth in the yes. material that's being put out and what is real Yeah, and what has been either scraped, through copyright infringement or that's correct what is a risk of causing harm this conversation about us not having legislated enough around Mm. ai
1: yeah exactly and look the thing with the programs like you can have the the best program written out but if you can't execute it yourself properly um that program is worth nothing if you're not training at the right intensity it doesn't mean anything if you're not training with intention Again, it's useless. So, you know, you can have all that, you know, in front of you, but if you're not guided by someone who knows what they're doing, then nothing's going to change. That's a perfect analogy,
0: Tracy, (laughs) and I actually want to elevate those words and bring that back to architecture because if AI can spit out house plans for you much more efficiently actually than in theory a draftsperson potentially could plan it. But if you don't have an architect in your team – helping to develop that design, helping to deliver it, document it and being there working with you and the builder Mm -hmm. on site, you're not actually going to get a house. You're not going to get an outcome. And so these people are so important, right? Yes. In people-centric professions such as yours as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's that connection. So it's that connection with people. People want to train with people. people. Most people don't want to train alone. You have some people out there that want to and people like accountability. So,
0: yeah. I feel like that's why we, since uh, the, the post-lockdown reopening, people have rushed back to gyms and have been selling all their home equipment and everything we acquired through our sort of hibernation yeah. lockdown period because people want to be around other humans. They do. Yeah, they crave that.
1: It was a very lonely time training in my garage during COVID, but I trained every day <laughs> It's just to get me through.
0: That's exactly right. One thing I do really love, though, about allowing – people further accessibility outside the home or as an alternative to gym is the free public equipment that local mm-hmm. councils are installing in free outdoor gyms and there's a particularly amazing one that I actually came across oh yeah a- about a month ago in the city of Ira, yeah. um, near Duncan McKinnon Reserve okay that felt like one of the the latest most awesome and greatest but more and more of those I'm seeing that are also uh, inclusive and disabled inclusive allowing um, wheelchair users to come and work out and yep. use certain specific equipment. That's um, amazing. Say, say say more about. Yeah, so we've got –
1: so, you know, we've got a couple really close by to us. So we've got uh, Bicentennial Park has like a little bit – they had a little bit of refurbishment maybe about a year ago. Um, it's a couple spaces there with some outdoor gym equipment, equipment. Obviously, there's no weights on there. It's just body body weight, really. Um, the
0: the one in um, Carnegie well, in Duncan yeah. McKinnon has weights. Has weights? Yes, outside and assault or self powered. Your w- watts off the bicycle oh, light up the little LED screen. Oh, that's so on cool. the outdoor bicycle. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. So that's really coming yeah. along.
1: Well, there's there's one in Marraborn opening. I think that they were due to open early this year. so it, by the looks of it, it's it's still in works, but it's. Um, where are we? It's a GR Bricker Reserve outdoor gym, so it's expected to finish. And that looks probably similar to what you're you're actually um, describing. So it's still in the works, but well, that will be one to definitely all pop down and have a look. Um, and then we also have like the Dendy uh, Park in Brighton East, so they've got like an outdoor gym there as well. Yeah, that's really so. There's a few one. there's a few resources, and look at the end of the day, like if you haven't done any sort of training or you haven't sort of done any fitness or any movements in a while just getting started doing body weight stuff just doing some lunges doing some squats um just getting in there and just using minimal equipment it's fine like you don't need a lot of stuff um and there's also resources online to do to do workouts like at park we we have a service called park plus um which is a free it's a free service where you can actually um access a library full of workouts and training sessions and tutorials on how to do movements and it's all sort of you know available to you you know on your phone on your ipad whatever and you can do it in your lounge room or you can take to a park yeah so there's a a lot of like um services out there and to 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 stay active and to be active
0: i feel like it's a very important thing to support in the public realm Mm -hmm. and we've previously had conversations in this program about parkour and the right to play in yes. the public realm and be fit and active and and to show up and and to sweat or to to experience the the full spectrum of what it is that it means to be human mm-hmm. in public. Mm-hmm. And do you find that that's that's important in helping convey your your messages about health and well-being?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think like, you know, we it's so important to be outdoors and, you know, to use facilities and like the parks here, like even like the sporting um, grounds, they're all open to everybody when there's no games or, you know, when it's off season, that type of thing. So it's all a shared space. And um, the only gripe I have is, are the unleashed dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: in, the, in the wrong zone where they're not supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happens quite a bit. But,
1: but yeah, absolutely.
0: The, the soccer pitch, I might add, is looking particularly good it's looking really green it's looking
1: really green it was um yeah looking worse for wear it's towards the end of the season
0: let's pivot to uh sporting pavilions and Mm -hmm. soccer your other passion and you're actually wearing a matilda's jersey tonight because i know you're a mad matilda's fan (laughs) and even went (laughs) to watch some of the world cup games I did. I went to the Sydney Games
1: and I watched Sam Kerr kick that goal, and I had my daughter on my lap, and I just like jumped up and down with her. It was just like electrifying. It was the most spectacular moment ever, and I will never forget it. I'm sure she won't either. It was so cool.
0: That's that's really really <laughs> special. How has this Matilda's fever hit your local club?
1: It's um, it's 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 been huge. So we actually ran a um sort of like a come and try session for all girls and it was like a free session every Friday with um, Coach Lou who would take through just some basic drills for, for girls aged between eight. I think it was about 16, 17. Um, and it was great. We had sort of over 100 girls attend on those sessions, um, all really passionate, all wearing their Tillies shirts. and Yeah, it's just the most phenomenal thing to see. Um, I played – I started playing at age 15 and it was something that you wouldn't ever see. So it was just a couple of people playing or whatever and I actually joined a – at 15 I played in a senior women's team, which is something that you wouldn't even do now because it's just the size, it's just a risk factor and that type of thing. It's very physical It was just so refreshing to see that many girls want to play – Sucker. and not nipple
0: and <laughs> so, how, how many signed up so to, did to that
1: data so, to carry through yeah so that carried through and we had we have like seven girls teams um from that so we have um we have sort of like under sevens and so we have under eights nines tens twelves um under 14s under 16s and we've got the Masters women, which is over 35 teams. We've got two of those. Wow. And we've got a senior women's team, which is – the te- I actually play in the senior women's team. Um, but this year we have like 30-something 30, 30 ladies interested in playing the senior women's team. So it's only an 11-side team. <laughs> so there's a lot of interest. We could probably make two teams out of that. It's so huge. It is huge. Massive growth. Massive growth. And we had sort of like um, – 60% of the women that were interested in – 60% of people that were interested in playing for this season were were women, were female wow. from that. So it was great. Absolutely. Tremendous.
0: That, that's really, really incredible. It is. And are your facilities, are your amenities keep, keeping up? Uh, with this demand, do you have club rooms and change rooms um, for everyone?
1: Yeah, so we are struggling. So um, I've only just joined the committee um, this sort of like just the end of last year and um, we've been trying to meet with the council and we've been, you know, having discussions with them for the last five years about the demand and each year um, the demand to join the club as a player is increasing. Um. So yeah, we've actually we had I think it's thirty seven teams in all for Chelsea Football Club last season. This season we're already at forty four, and we're knocking people back. Wow. Which is actually really sad.
0: You shouldn't have to do that no, at all at a local no, community level.
1: No, we've got um, so we've got some pitches across the road from the actual clubhouse. So it's our Common. Um, And we use those um, pictures there. But unfortunately, there's no change rooms for women there. So we don't have showers and, you know, we just have these portable sort of like – what would you call them? Like containers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yes. They're pretty hot in there, they're little sweat boxes. Um, So, yeah, we don't have the facility and unfortunately, we also don't have the wheelchair access, which is not great. So we have been – in talks and trying to really push some funding along to looking, to improve the facilities, yeah.
0: Do you looking to get a new pavilion?
1: We would love that. <laughs> I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then also just with, like, the – with the teams that we've got that are committed at the moment, um, like I said, we've knocked back a lot of people because they're already we're at capacity and we've even passed surpassed that with the 44-so teams – uh, we need another pitch. So we've actually had to outsource um, and we're looking for another pitch at the moment to service those those extra teams. And, yeah, it's actually quite sad because everyone wants to get involved and we're a community club. Um, you know, we have a lot of volunteers and people who are really passionate. Our club president, Carlo, is the most passionate person you'll ever find. And he's a workaholic. so he's just always driving the club forward. and I'm just so amazed by his work ethic and his passion, but it's just, yeah, hopefully we can get together um, some funding to to cover to support these, you know these new teams and most of these new teams are girls teams.
0: What's the number one thing you'd really love to see in a pavilion, in a new pavilion to support the growth of your club? What do you think is going like, to be the key ingredient to the club's success? And how can the building help you get there?
1: It'd be really nice to have it all together. Like at the moment, like we're separated. So, you know, the the kids will play over at the E D. It is Val Common, which is across the road, um, separate from the clubhouse. It'd be nice if we had one sort of big center all together. Um, it'd be also really nice to have like a small sort of um, sort of space for the girls or the women to actually access for training, like bath, like toilets or bathrooms and that type of thing. So You don't have that right now. So we do, but. At times – so so some of the girls were the training pitches because, you know, the scheduling is really difficult, they might have to be training a little bit further away from the bathroom. So it's uh, like a bit of a trick for them to get to.
0: And that could prove as a barrier to access and barrier to participation for some women.
1: Yeah, possibly. And so, for, for the younger girls as well. So, you know, obviously they have to go down or cross with their parents, that type of thing. But it's just, it's just the facility – like it's just, you know –
0: The idea of an integrated club um, almost brings our conversation full circle from the old days of Fernwood and soft women's gyms Mm -hmm. separated off somewhere to actually bringing everyone together so Mm -hmm. you could have the growth and the inspiration and the community in one building. Yeah, exactly. And the kids can see where they're going, what growth was ahead of them. They can see the
1: pathway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At the moment it's a little bit um, disjointed um but that's that's why I've been put into this into this role. Um to help sort of bring it all together and um, you know, nurture those girls into becoming possibly the next Matildas, you never know.
0: Absolutely. Like I think um They all started somewhere, right? The they all exa- had Absolutely, clubs.
1: absolutely. So, you know, we're looking at um yeah, helping those girls get up to maybe train with the senior women's teams. Like I've got my coach, Will, who's really passionate about having those under-16 girls training alongside us. And it's just difficult with the schedule and with the number of teams. So we are struggling at the moment to to put that together and see what it looks like for next season.
0: What about the social culture of the club? What sort of facilities help support a soccer club? What what, what sort of rooms do you need? Uh,
1: look, I've got a great fas- facility upstairs and it's quite versatile. Like, we, you know, we can sort of change it up a little bit. But um, like I said, having a space where maybe um, we could just have like females, like a female area, like a downstairs or something like that. But at the moment it's it, <laughs> like, probably not going to happen. Um, but, I mean, in my wish list, if I could just wish for anything, it'd be oh, like, yeah, a, like, a, like, a, like a small space where – you know, all girls can sort of meet together after training, chat, discuss, see what each other are doing. Maybe um, it's just like a little hub. Mm. Yeah.
0: That, that, that's interesting. Like a little meeting
1: space. It doesn't have to be big. You can just have like some. What do you call it?
0: Bean um, bags. <laughs> <laughs> <Take> what, <tennis. laughs> what I'm hearing is the the desire to integrate a facility so everyone can be together and grow together. Mm because we really need to properly support and equitably, not just equally, but equitably Mm. support women's football and soccer development Mm -hmm. in this country. I'm hearing you still need a space for women to do that.
1: Yeah. So my daughter actually um, plays for the club and she's quite happy to play mixed with boys. She's totally okay with it. But what you'll find is like a lot of the younger girls may not feel comfortable doing that. Um, and they may not be a little bit more sort of opened up maybe in the space like that because there might be some louder boys, that type of thing. So I think having a little hub where um, they are supported by more senior players um, and can maybe ask questions or be in a space where it's safe for them to kind of be themselves and be a little bit more open I think would be great.
0: Mm. Sounds like these clubs are really important in shaping people and shaping people's personalities and helping them grow and develop. Yes, 100%. I think so. A lot, this club, like I've played for a
1: lot of clubs. I've played for like 16 years. And, um, yeah, this club is great. They they really are looking for progression. Yeah, they want to be um, the leaders in, in, in the local communities. So,
0: yeah. We heard... During the tournament, during the World Cup, across the media was really discussed that there's inadequate funding and there's insufficient funding. We need that injection (laughs) of funding right away into women's football in order to maybe make it into the the full final Mm -hmm. um, at the next World Cup and have our continued growth and success. But behind that word funding, what does it actually mean? What are you seeing as the barrier to women and girls participating in football?
1: It's, it's basically what we're seeing at this level, like, you know, just having, giving girls the opportunity to play, to, to, to look up to role models. At, at club level, it doesn't have to be Matildas. Um, looking up to senior players, um, having um, that time on the field, the training, the facilities – um, having experienced coaches is another thing too. So I feel like maybe with the girls, soccer it's or football, I should probably say, um, they're probably not given the coaches that are more experienced coaches, maybe given people who are just starting off or maybe not even playing the sport, they're just parents. And look, mm. we are a community club and that does happen. Um, but investing in these coaches female coaches as well um by the way we're still looking for female coaches any female coaches out there <laughs> uh to actually yeah help help with the development of these like younger starts. yeah so investment in that investment in the trainings investment in the facilities and
0: yeah. you need it you need the building i mean this is what i always say on the program for as long as p- architecture will always be relevant for as long as the people need homes schools and places to live, work, Mm -hmm. play, and train. Mm -hmm. And sounds like the growth and success and operation of your club is actually very much hinged on what facilities and what pavilion you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've I've worked on a number of uh, pavilion refurbishments. Yeah. And before before we start, the uh, initial, the older format of the pavilion, they're very stinky, dirty, kind of (laughs) scary places. And I don't know how many teenage girls would want to even come near them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And yeah. Some grassroots clubs are amazing and they're able to look after it. But when a pavilion is 30, 40, 50 years old coming sometimes yeah. to the end of its lifespan, yeah. it's a stinky, spooky place. Yeah, <laughs> that's true.
1: It'd be nice to actually have a female-specific one as well, like for, for their games for their home games so then it's kept nice and clean. Like you don't want to go into the change room and then you see
0: this urinal and it's like, ah, what happened here? (laughs) Yeah, we're certainly not really doing them anymore. Okay. (laughs) Pulling out those urinals and making spaces much more inclusive Mm. for mixed teams as well. Yeah. And creating amenities where um, because through a lot of sports you get mixed teams pretty much right through until uh, seniors. And some sports are even contact, like ice hockey is mixed until under-17s, for example. Oh,
1: under-17s? Yes. Oh, wow.
0: And the girls <clears> share <throat> the change rooms with boys and they're in there with the really? team together. Oh, wow. But if you can create more private uh, facilities to use and mm-hmm. then the the communal kind of scrum area or meeting area, yeah. that, that can, I imagine, would really support teams much, yeah, much true. better. Yeah. We, we've discussed... um. On a previous episode, public toilets and the sort oh, of yeah. phrase we use is like gold star. And tell me if I'm dreaming, Tracy. But the idea that you can have floor-to-ceiling walls and separate kind of airplane-style private cubicles yeah. with your with your toilet and hand basin and with your shower and change zone that provides okay. full privacy to the players. Yeah. And then the team benches and locker cupboards can be communal, and so you can have mixed teams. In sports, okay. sharing yeah. the same rooms. Yeah, that's true. And not having to have oh, girls left out of the meeting, and girls yeah. left out of the team convo, yep. Yep. girls left out of the team chat. Yeah, that's true. That's where architecture I love has that. a role I would in love inclusion. That. <laughs> Those sort of facilities, I suspect, also really encourage all players to mm-hmm. keep pavilions cleaner and neater mm-hmm. and look after them. Yeah. Because you can't just run amok. No. and <laughs> you have to share it with everyone. That's true. It's true. So at the moment do you have mixed teams in, in, in soccer that are yes. using facilities together?
1: <clears throat> so at the moment the um, the younger kids play mixed, but there aren't many girls in the mixed. So um, so I think, you know, we um, gave the option to, to parents when they're registering. If their daughter would like to play an all-girls team or play in mixed, mm-hmm. so we're pretty much a majority of it would all was all girls, and then you'd have like a couple. So, so there's maybe a handful of teams because um, they stopped playing mixed after yeah, under so tw- under 11s or 12 under 11s. I think it is. Oh, that's even yeah. sooner. than Well, some before. clubs are a little
0: bit different. Yeah. Yeah, I was just about to ask what the cutoff was. I think it's under thirteens. Yeah. yeah, similar with AFL, that gets to a point where the mixed teams are cut off. But now with the revival we've seen of uh, women's, women's Australian in- rules football, yeah, there's so many more girls teams there is across all age groups. Yeah,
1: that's also amazing. I actually, I actually play a little bit of footy when I was younger, and yeah, you wouldn't even think that down the track it'd be like women's leagues. And people be going there and watching yeah. it's Yeah, totally cool. It's
0: pretty incredible <coughs> the power that sport actually has to drive social change.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And how much AFL has done for equality and how much the Matildas and women's soccer has done for participation in sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you found that having a more diverse club with more inclusion has bettered the culture of your club?
1: I feel so, yeah, I think so. And I think this season will definitely um, show that. So with a lot more girl teams joining in and from – I've only just joined the club uh, last year and totally felt welcomed there and um, we were always um, involved and always felt part of the club. But I've played for other clubs where – I didn't feel like I was a club member, or yeah. Mm. So if, if it was, we were always like a bit of an afterthought. Or, but in this club, they do keep us all in mind, and they, um, you know, have us on the main pitch, which is like pretty amazing. So that's that's also nice. As it should be. Yes, yeah, it should be exactly. But not all clubs do that. Um, but yeah it's looking forward to the season and I I feel like it would show a lot more of that.
0: That's excellent. And that's really excellent that you also have the data and the statistics from the numbers that are coming through. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we wish you every, every success in a new pavilion and hopefully more new growth. Absolutely. This amazing community spirit sounds like a lot of what we've been talking about on the program, of how amazing and community minded people are here across the long beach. Yeah. Especially in, around Ederfell, Chelsea. Yeah. Well, I might ask my final question and that's, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Oh my goodness. Um, That's
1: a good question. Just in general, about anything? Yeah. I don't know, just to, I suppose, just waking up in the morning, just a new day. Just sort of taking it in and just going, okay, what what have I got in store for for myself today? It's a brand new day. Let's win the day. <laughs> have you heard that
0: before? Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's
1: awesome. so true though. Like win the day, make it your own. It's not just a day that you just want to like fly by or watch by and yeah. And I think um, – and look, in all honesty, soccer gives me hope. It's something that I come back to after 10 years and I was only pulled back into it because my daughter wanted to play – and I was like, really, you want to play soccer? And I was like, okay. Um, and it gives me hope for, for the future of sport and for women's involvement in sport and fitness. And, yeah, I think it's, it's looking good. It's looking good for us. And I think Matilda's have definitely
0: paved the way. That's awesome. Go the Tillies. Go the Tillies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me tonight on the program, Grace, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for another evening of Radio Architecture with Alana Rasbash. This live show was broadcast and recorded in the Radio Karim studio on Bonnarong Country. You can replay the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting Community Radio. Take care.
1: Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karen. Stay tuned.